So welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. And Adam, I'm surprised. I thought for sure somebody was going to be pounding on the windows of the bunker here, yelling about (laughs) tyranny or globalists or something. But it didn't happen, so I guess my secret is still a secret. But... Uh, Well... first rule of bunker life is you don't reveal where the bunker is that's yeah that's, and it's a works. tiny slit window too like in a tank so uh, <laughs> it might be hard maybe throw a little pebble through and see what see what it hits the bunker's not built for comfort or views so no <laughs> it's built for one thing one thing only and that's radio <laughs> and the you know the 50 foot antenna outside is definitely inconspicuous yeah it's a little bit of a giveaway but <laughs> People think it's the police, but anyway. Hey, whatever, uh, whatever. Work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Open source. Everybody knows where I am. <laughs> there are a lot of big radio towers in town. Open source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph. Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. And that's week. That's all we're doing because uh, there's an election on. In case you hadn't heard, yeah. Uh, so this week we will be talking to Green Party candidate Michelle Bowman, who will talk to us about running as an environmental scientist and running actually as one of the few rookie candidates this election. Uh, but first, right off the top here, we're going to have an interview with Aisha Jonjir. Speaking of experienced candidates. She ran in 2019 for the NDP. She is running again here in 2021 for the NDP. And uh, we are going to kick off this week's show by talking to Aisha about uh, NDP stuff. So let's uh, roll the tape on Aisha. So Aisha Jonjir, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, you famously ran for the NDP in, in 2019. So uh, what made you want to uh, run again uh, for this election? What what inspired you to uh, take up the, the torch again? Well, the fight still continues. That's number one. <laughs> um, but most importantly, the experience that I had in 2019 um, was very positive positive. Um, I learned a lot about my community in the city of Guelph, even more so. Um, great support, got to, got to meet new people, um, and just having the continued support uh, for the nomination, um, I, I, I couldn't say no. I couldn't resist. <laughs> you, I mean, I think when, we, when you ran in 2019, we talked a lot about how Given your background, it seemed like you were made in an NDP factory somewhere that, uh, you know, you were a, you were a nurse, you were a labor leader, uh, you're a community leader. It feels like it's even more so this time because of those factors. Um, can you talk a bit about what the ex- pandemic has been like from your experience as a nurse and what you've seen in your day job? Yeah, the pandemic has been very stressful, um, experiencing a lot of anxiety among staff, uh, even our patients, the uncertainty, the mixed messages that we were receiving from government, um, not entirely sure if we had enough PPE, 
Mm. Um, and just even on a daily basis, changes to, you know, um, how do we, how do we ensure that we're safe, um, change, changes of direction from public health. Um, so it was, it was, it was very stressful. Um, I know my heart goes out to all the nurses and healthcare professionals as I'm reading the news um, with, with staffing issues, resource issues, not enough beds. So it, it, it hurts, right? And when it hurts nurses, trust me, it hurts patients. So I'm really, really concerned. Um, and I'm not surprised because pandemic or not, the reality is that Ontario has the least number of beds per capita. Mm. Um, and then if you look at our ever-growing city of wealth, I mean, we were promised a second hospital years ago, and yet we continue to wait. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the pandemic has really highlighted and amplified the inefficiencies and in our inadequate healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very troubling for me. Right. Still, and this is like maybe a big question, but I mean, we're, we're sitting at, and the NDP is kind of running on all of this. We're sitting at this intersection of sort of multiple crises, a crisis of the pandemic and the recovery from the pandemic. Climate change is another big one. Inequality as well. Um, Jagmeet Singh's been talking a lot about inequality and finding ways to fight inequality. I guess, how do you balance all of that? How do you balance like three like, and I guess they're kind of overlapping crises, too, because inequality has an effect on both climate and, uh, you know, how you make it through the pandemic. You know, how how do you juggle all those balls at once? I think it's very simple. You continue looking after people. And through this pandemic, people saw that with new Democrat MPs in the House, even though there were only 24, we were mm-hmm. mighty. Right. We brought about and advocated for what Canadians needed and we continue to fight for Canadians. And that's exactly what we're doing in this campaign. So we recognize that when you have when you support um, like the social network, making sure people have what they need, that's what helps build the economy and and supports the community. If you've gotten a sense that maybe. um I don't know. It feels like at times there's a certain wind to Jagmeet Singh's back that is there this time that there wasn't there in 2019. And that's just me watching the media coverage. That's not me trying to, uh, I guess, reverse engineer something. But how are you feeling that when you're sort of out on the campaign trail? Like, are people taking a second look at you or, or taking a second look at the NDP or even taking a second look at Mr. Singh, given his his profile? Oh, most definitely. So we know that in 2019, this was his first run as a leader. Um, he's definitely shown significant growth and confidence. Um, he is the most authentic and genuine leader. And this is something that's echoed across Canada amongst all Canadians. Um, and you know what? In the same breath, it's very, very refreshing, right? Mm. Um, you can tell the difference between Aaron O'Toole, Jagmeet Singh, and, and Justin Trudeau. Um, and, and, it's, um, and I'm getting a lot of that positive feedback from people. They're, they're really excited about Jagmeet. I think they've really opened up to Jagmeet. He's very warm. He's able to relate. He's connecting. Um, so yeah, and then for me, second time around, 
um, I think there's this understanding that I um, that I've grown and I've learned from my first campaign, um, and and we're doing all that we can to to get the support here in Guelph and to win this election because we desperately need a new democratic. Uh, we need a new Democrat government in, in Canada. When you're out and people are asking you about um, like what kind of prime minister Jagmeet Singh would be, uh, I mean, what's what's your pitch? What's your you know, what are the things that appeal to you about Jagmeet Singh as a leader? I'll be very honest with you, um, Adam. I am very proud to say that our party leader is Jagmeet Singh. He has the char- characteristics and the qualities that a leader should have. Um, he's supportive and he's leading. Um, you know, he he teaches, like he's just, I don't know, he's like the real deal, right? I, <laughs> I think he, I think, and I believe he would make a great prime minister. Um, I think he probably is the only one that can help us out of this pandemic when we talk about economic recovery. Um, he's very thoughtful. Um, he is caring and compassionate. And those are the things that I think make up a really good leader. So, you know, and this is, this is also what I'm hearing from people. I want to talk a bit about campaigning in a pandemic, because again, you, you bring this unique experience you ran before when you could walk up to somebody's store and not have a mask on and, you know, walking up to someone's store actually wasn't uh, terribly bold. That's what you have to do to get votes out. You have to be a bit more um, practice. And I know you and your campaign have done that and have actually like called off days of, of door knocking because of um, health concerns. Um, how is, I mean, how is the calculations in terms of campaigning different this election than last election? And are you, I guess how how given all the challenges, given also your personal experience, I mean, what did you also I mean, how did you want to attack this uh, campaign in a pandemic election? Um, You know, all all that stuff. So I'll start off by saying that the safety of others is is the most important thing for me. Um, And 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 also when I think of my last campaign, the most favorite part of the campaign was the door-to-door canvassing. Um, you know, I had very personal conversations with people. I cried with people. You know, it was, it was, it was the most exciting. I mean, I wasn't three minutes at the door. I took as long as somebody needed it. And uh, that's what was so great because then I was really learning. But this time around, considering that we were still going through this pandemic, we were very much in the fourth wave you know, we're dealing with the Delta that is the most predominant variant right now. Um, and um, so there was that piece, the masking, the public health guidelines. Um, and I, I didn't want to compromise people further. And I wanted to minimize risk of transmission. Um, when I think about a campaign office, it's a place that we meet, we gather. Um, I just, I, I thought, you know what, it's probably best to take it out entirely so that we don't have an issue, right? right. Um, monitoring and ensuring that public health guidelines were met. I thought that that could be extremely difficult and strenuous. Um, so we've been doing a 
fabulous job by running this campaign virtually. We have, we've had like amazing number of people that have come forward wanting to volunteer. Um, we, you know, my campaign manager, David Giuseppe has done fabulous work and Grzyski, like all of our leads have done amazing work and, and people are noticing. We've concentrated on social media. Um, what's really important is to try to get the messaging out and also make myself available. So if people want to speak to me, you know, let it be via Zoom, um, either one-on-one, -on -one, mask to mask, right? With physical, dis like with safe distancing um, or even via telephone call. So I am, I am making every effort to continue to meet with, my, uh, with, with the voters, making myself available, but we opted not to have a campaign office for health and safety. And furthermore, even door-to-door -door canvassing we are not doing uh, for the very same reason, right? Uh, people, people nowadays are checking the internet, they're Googling, they're doing their homework, they're reading up. So if they want to speak to me, they've, they have ample or many opportunities to do so. Um, the other thing we're doing is we're going to be um, having myself available at several parks across the city. Um, and they can set up an appointment or they could just, you know, sh you know, show up and, and have a chat if they like. Um, because it's not a, it's about me reaching out and it's, uh, it's about me understanding what the issues are. Mm -hmm. I, I did want to mention that, that you do have several uh, dates coming up where uh, you, you're making yourself available um, in area parks, something kind of, something kind of old school about that. I don't know. It's kind of goes, goes back to the good old, maybe not the good old days, but uh, days of yore when you would get out, get your soapbox, stand on the corner on your soapbox and, and, and talk about what you believe in. Um, I wanted to ask you too about, um, cause it's been going around and we've seen this particularly around the prime minister, a lot of anger, uh, following him around, uh, a lot of protesters. Um, I know that there are other candidates who've experienced this as well across all parties. And uh, have you uh, encountered any of that on the campaign trail? Uh, people getting angry at Aisha Jonjir for whatever reason? <laughs> <laughs> um, I must say that it's really sad to see that anyone, even if it's Justin Trudeau, is experiencing that. Um, I, I have not. I have, I have, however, seen significant sign damage, mm. right? People have either, you know, taken them right, you know, right off, um, even lawn signs, like people have taken off lawn signs um, just down the street, like four homes, lawn signs missing, um, or they've written all over my sign and, and, I'm really grateful that we have an amazing sign crew. Uh, Anne's been leading that. And so we've been doing our repairs and we've been, um, you know, putting them back up again right away as, as soon as we can. So outside of that, I haven't had any personal attacks. Fortunately, let's keep it that way. <laughs> Fortunately, yes. Along with that, though, um, we have a number of candidates here in Guelph who have like a science background. And a lot of these protests are being driven by, I guess you could really call it an anti-science kind of narrative uh, or like a science skeptical narrative. Um, again, you're a nurse. How do you propose like 
with, with this like loud, very angry constituency, how how do we sort of bring them into the fold? How do we encourage them to like get vaccinated, to follow the 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 public health advice, the scientific advice, you know, when they are so angry and so unwilling to believe the science? How do we bring those people in? Well, I think we have to really understand um, where they're getting their information. What is the information that they have? Uh, I can tell you as a registered nurse, my responsibility is to get an informed consent, right? For anything and everything that we do. And that includes giving a vaccine. So um, part of that informed consent process is to explain to the patient um, or the, or the, you know, the patient, the individual, the risks and the benefits um, of getting the vaccine. And I think, and I believe that once people know that there is um, significant risk to life, right? Um, I'm hopeful that they will be, uh, you know, rolling up their sleeve and getting the vaccine. It is the right thing to do. You know, Mm -hmm. people talk about the lockdowns, people talk about school closures. we have to understand that our most vulnerable population right now are those individuals that cannot get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes our 12 and under children. So if we really wanna protect our children, truly wanna, are concerned about their safety, then I am, I'm asking for everyone else to get vaccinated for the sake of their children. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that we kind of see it happen. People get sick with COVID and they're in the hospital. They're in the hospital bed. They're getting, you know, hooked up to machines to help them breathe. And it's, it's kind of at that point, it, it becomes real. And it just, you know, how do we, I, I guess it's, it's just a question of like, how do we make people realize it's real before it gets so bad that, you know, we're, we're hooking them up to machines in a hospital. Very limited ICU beds, Adam. Yeah. When I'm reading, um, when I'm reading the uh, news that's coming out, you know, even if it's in Alberta or Manitoba, it's scary. And if people think it can't come here, they're disillusioned, mm-hmm. right? We have very limited ICU beds. If they, if you know, Ontario reports a rise in COVID cases and rise of hospitalization, what ends up happening is surgeries get canceled, right? Surgeries that people need get canceled so that they can ensure that there is an ICU bed available for someone. Um, Some surgeries require an ICU bed post-op and and so they they may opt to cancel um, and that hurts people, right? right? This is the indirect impact of the pandemic. Um, And what it does, it just really, really, identifies the inadequate, um, you know, not, uh, uh, not resourced well healthcare system. Right. I do want to talk a little bit about climate change um, because I mean, I was watching the prime minister's press conference this morning. Um, didn't come up, <laughs> which is a shame because I mean, it is going to be a, a bigger issue as, as we go along. But uh, out of curiosity, do you think that climate change is going to play a big role in this election in terms of people's vote? I mean, no matter how much, 
you know, it's not talked about on the campaign trail. It's kind of all over the news with, you know, flooding and wildfires, uh, heat warnings, uh, smog days from forest fires. Um, even if we're not talking about it, we're talking about it, right? Oh, most definitely. It is, um, it is a top priority. Um, you're right, though. I'm not seeing a lot of discussion or conversations around climate action. But we should hold the Liberal government accountable, right? Let's be clear, over the six years that Justin Trudeau has been in, in, in office, um, our emissions have been going the opposite direction, right? We, we as a you know, G7 country, ha- the emissions continue to go up. And um, like cutting emissions is very important to us. Um, and the Liberals continue to side with the big polluters by offering fossil fuel subsidies. They get off the hook um, by not paying the carbon tax um, the way consumers do. Like if I go to the gas pump, guess what? I'm paying my share of the carbon tax. Mm -hmm. But how does that compare? Or the amount of emission that my vehicle will will, put out in, in the environment how does that compare to the big fossil fuel com- the the ones that are the big big polluters that aren't paying their fair share? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, moving towards retrofitting all homes across the country is really important. Um, we also believe in supporting the economy, and by doing that, we would be creating you know hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of good paying jobs by investing in clean energy energy efficient, like affordable homes, electric transit, zero emission vehicles. Like we are committed to climate action and we are going to do what needs to be done in order to win this because our future and the future of our children depends on it. Do you think that there's not necessarily in in terms of how the issues are addressed because they're vastly different issues, but is, is there lessons to be learned in how responsive we are going how, how responsive we need to be to the climate crisis compared to how responsive we were to COVID, like in, just in terms of like attacking the problem? I can tell you that um, the wildfires in BC, wildfires up northern Ontario, wildfires across the globe, the flooding, um, you know, this has taken people's lives, this has taken their homes, it's devastating, it's traumatic. These are losses. Um, The heat wave, the first heat wave in BC this year um, resulted in over 500 deaths, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to address it with the same urgency because if ultimately the government's responsibility is to protect their people or protect the nation, we have to treat it as it is, um, uh, as um, catastrophic, or disastrous if we don't act. You know, we have to really, we need leadership from our, from our federal government and, and it's missing, it's not there. You know, we really need to look at not individual necessarily consumption and, and production, but the, 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 there needs to be leadership from the government. Mm-hmm. And by just eliminating plastic straws, they're not gonna do it. By growing all the, planting all these trees won't do it. We need real courage and commitment to address the climate crisis. Um, and the NDP are committed to do that. 
Mm -hmm. What do you think the, I guess the, the deciding factor is going to be for voters this election, you know, when, for the ones who are undecided, at least, you know, when they're trying to decide who to vote for, what do you think is, is going to be, what do you think they're looking for when they go to mark their ballot? What do you think they're, they're like, I guess their X factor is going to be when they decide who to vote for. Um, there is significant worry and anxiety out there across Canada about what their future will look like. People are concerned about affordability. Mm. People are concerned about um, the job losses. And this time, I am really, really, what, what I'm hearing from people is that they are going to you know, veer away from the rhetoric that they've heard in the past, right? That this time they are going to cast their vote with hope. Hope for change. Mm -hmm. And that hope for change will result in a Canada that is better and a Canada that's going to be prosperous and a Canada that will support its people as we get through this pandemic and for the, for the years to come. And that's the message I'm trying to relay to people. Before we, we wrap up, uh, you, I guess uh, this election is also a family business for you. Your, your daughter, Nora's running in Wellington, Halton Hills. Uh, can you talk a bit about, you know, being a mother daughter campaign team? I mean, not that you're running together necessarily, but I mean, uh, there was this, you know, cute, poster of, of the two of you that uh, the party put out it you know it looked like you were advertising legal services but uh it, it was it, <laughs> it was, it was cute. <laughs> but uh you know what can, can you talk a bit about you know your political household so it's not a family business i'm gonna start <laughs> off with saying that um my daughter 22 uh i am so proud of her um, and, you know, she was sharing with me all the concerns that she has as a young adult, right? Mom, how am I going to afford to move out eventually? The job market looks dismal. She has finished her degree from University of Guelph. Now she's doing post-grad work. Um, and, and, you know, concerns about the mental health of her, her peers, there is significant mental illness and it's continuing to rise. And I'm afraid it's going to get worse and we need to make sure people have um, access to supports. Um, the wait times are ridiculous. But before I go off on tangent there, um, <laughs> I said to her, I said, you know, what you need to do is you need to act, mm. right? So once you sort of absorb what the concerns are, what are the fears, what are you prepared to do to respond to it, and and uh, and I and she knows from my last campaign that it was a very positive experience, and I talked about growth and maturity, um, and and I think you know with my work in the union, um, because she always saw me as really busy advocating for workers and workers' rights, health and safety, human rights, like all these sort of things, right? Um, She's like, well, how do I get started? And I said, what do you want to do? And she really is driven, you know, to carry the voice of the youth. Um, and it's important that youth get heard. This is about their future. 
So it was a decision that she made on her own. Um, and I am so proud when I see her working away, trying to understand the issues and reading local stuff and how does it relate to, to the campaign and what NDP have to offer. It, it's, um, it's beautiful to watch. And I am so happy to see that she is part of this, this drive and this campaign for Canada that's better for everybody. And that's an, you know, just to put in a plug for, for the Wellington Halton Hills race, that's an interesting one to watch because the two, two of the four main party candidates are under 30, including your daughter. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, I, I wish there was a kind of like more of a traditional campaign because to see, you know, two young people go at it with, um, I was going to say, I was going to make a joke about dinosaurs, so maybe I better not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Aisha, uh, I have now uh, the most essential question of our interview, which is how can people get in touch with your campaign? If they'd like to get more information or get in contact with me, please feel free to call me at 519-760-2413. And that is the, uh, my campaign manager's uh, line. And then I, I get the messages there. Otherwise, they can uh, email me at aisha.johngear at ndp.ca. Perfect. Well, Aisha John Gere, thank you so much for all your time today and uh, best of luck on the campaign trail. As such as such as it is. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great one. And that was NDP candidate Aisha John Gere. Um, not much left to say, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we will we will leave that there and uh, we will queue up our next interview, which is with Green Party candidate Michelle Bowman. In the meantime, you are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 McDonnell in the downtown, the Little Big Record Shop. And that was the band, $100, right on point this week, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Toronto Zone. I'm not sure whether they're still together, but they live on. And the song was Everybody Wins. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the Memory Palace just comes together and it's like, that's the perfect song. For this week and the election period and just any old day, really. Because any day, everyone can win if they choose to. And it hopefully costs less than $100. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it depends if you're being sued by... Uh, anyway. We'll have to... <laughs> Another day. <laughs> I, I'm just... There's, there's lots of thoughts in the head right now. Uh, not the least of which is that uh, we do have a second interview on the show this week, which is uh, Michelle Bowman, who is the Green Party candidate uh, this time around. Uh, she is 
pretty new to politics and uh but very enthusiastic and she is an environmental scientist she's actually a member of the green party's shadow cabinet so i mean she's like technically already in government um so (laughs) (laughs) i don't mean to mock because it is you know it is important uh so you know she's already in there in the green party politics now she just has to win a seat can she do it how is she gonna win it uh why don't we hear from michelle and uh we will hit plus We will press play on that right about now. So, Michelle Bowman, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to share what the Greens have to offer. (laughs) Well, let's talk about you first. Um, You're new to politics, even just like sort of from an activist perspective, like this is kind of like a recent development for you personally. So uh, what made you start getting politically involved? Yeah, I'd be happy to explain. Um, Before we get started on that, I just wanted to acknowledge that Haddadunduni or Guelph is built on traditional lands and Guelphs and Greens are really committed to rebuilding our nation to nation relationship. So I just wanted to start there. Sure. Um, But yeah, um, I first started paying attention to politics during the Harper government years, um, I was consulting for the federal government and a lot of who I thought were the best scientists were fired by the Harper government. He also dismantled libraries and got rid of databases. So that's really when I started to pay attention. I thought science could solve some of our problems and I realized it takes more than science to do that, so yeah. You're an environmental scientist, so like you're kind of, I mean, anyone could be a Green Party candidate, but I mean, if you're going to be a Green Party candidate, it's, it's, you get that one up by being an environmental scientist too. So can you talk about from what your point of view, you know, sort of what the environmental stakes are in this election and, and what you feel is, um, you know, where you want to be and where you're concerned we're going to end up if, you know, we don't make climate change a focus over the next four years? Yeah, I love that question. And it's really the reason I'm a candidate. So I really, excuse me, believe that this is the last Canadian federal election we have to get some people in that will do something real about climate change. So I think the stakes are huge. Um, The other parties just aren't planning enough. The science requires, says we require more. So yeah, this, the stakes couldn't be higher. I mean, unless there's going to be like a big green explosion, and I know you're probably hoping that, you know, <laughs> you'll, <laughs> the Green Party will turn out 160 some odd uh, members of parliament. But in the event that doesn't happen, I mean, we're, we're probably going to get stuck with, I say stuck, but, you know, uh, no matter what your political leanings are with another liberal government of some form or perhaps a conservative government with some form, a liberal government. And I think you would agree. And a lot of climate activists would agree has not done enough on the environment. And there's no reason to think that they're suddenly going to get super active on the environment. On the other hand, Aaron O'Toole and the conservatives seem to have only recently em- embraced the idea of a carbon tax, although they won't call it a carbon tax. So, I mean, given those options, I guess, 
what can you, what would you be able to do as a Green Party MP to sort of, if you were to be elected, to sort of push either of those governments towards taking bigger, more broader climate action? Yeah, I love that question too. Um, I think if people keep voting for the same, we're going to keep getting the same. And Guelph has a real opportunity to send someone different um, to Ottawa. And like you said, I won't have a majority or an even a minority, most likely. However, I will be able to expose policies that don't meet the science, and I will be able to expose policies that put profit over people, which I think is a lot of the problem. And I'll just point to our MPP in Guelph, who's had lots of success doing that within a Ford government. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, Duffins Creek, there was we have very, very few wetlands left. They provide all sorts of essential services to humans and they were going to put an Amazon warehouse over it. So, and not only Mike Schreiner, but he kept the debate alive and he was the only one keeping it alive um, at Queens Park. And I have good colleagues in Oshawa that worked hard to make sure that that didn't happen. So that's just one example of how, and hopefully we'll have a few voices at least, not just not just one. Mike's all by himself. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, not to turn this into like a Mike Schreiner Mutual Admiration Society, but I mean, that Dufferin Creek is a really great example. And, and I think Mike has said in an interview I've done with him that, you know, he went out to Dufferin Creek and said, we got to stop this MZO. And the local activists there were saying, well, Mike, it was really great for you to stop by, but like for, for the chances of us stopping this are slim. And then uh, a year later, it stopped. Yeah, that was a fabulous win and just a great example of, of just exposing bad policy. I think people underestimate how much power they have. Like when enough people stand up, governments and corporations do have to listen. And I think that's a message that we have to get across that And yeah, it's exhausting keeping up with all these things. And that's why it's even more important to vote for someone that you trust to represent you. I'm going to ask you to put on your shadow cabinet hat for a minute, because people may not know you're the the shadow minister of the environment for the Green Party. Uh, Can you talk a bit about what the liberal government, the current liberal government has done to take action on climate change and uh, sort of like talk about how you, you, the Green Party would do better? Like what? where's the difference between the Liberal Party and the Green Party in terms of what real climate action looks like? Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Um, as you know, we're going to get into all the gory details on next Tuesday, but <laughs> um, kind of the Coles notes are that um, under the Liberals, We've never met a climate target. Under the Liberals, emissions have gone up every year. Um, So there's a really crappy track record. Mm -hmm. But even if we look at their current plan, their targets aren't high enough. They're not going to act fast enough. And they're relying on all these 
unknown technological fixes so they can continue business as usual. They're going to keep subsidizing oil and gas. Um, so yeah, there's just lots and lots of reasons why the plan won't work. And even if the plan would work, do we trust someone that's never met a target? So. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of that is political engineering or political reverse engineering, right? And it, I, I brought this up with uh, another environmentalist who's running, Karen Levinson, who's probably a little further along than even the Green Party because she wants to outlaw or like to rein in like animal agriculture. But I, I put this to her and I'll kind of put it to you. It's like we can't even, you know, she wants to get people to stop eat fewer hamburgers and we can't even get people to drive less. So, I mean, where I guess, how, how do we sort of move the, and I appreciate that like 71% or like, you know, seven tenths of, of pollution is caused by like mega corporations and not necessarily people. But I mean, how do you, how do you propose to sort of rally more, more of that public pressure to get whoever's in government to meet those targets? Yeah. So a few things, um, I did listen to the interview and, and the Greens do have great policies on um, scaling down industrial agriculture. So yeah, that was a terrific interview. Um, and um, yeah, I forgot the other thing I was going to say. But, um, Just about pushing people to, you know, take more or, or to push harder for climate action. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The other thing I was going to say first was um, that people blame the big corporations, but it's people that demand the products that they produce. So I think that's a bit of a false dichotomy. But yes, how to get people to take climate action seriously is the big question. And I think we just need to keep communicating it all different ways from different sources. We need to talk to each other and, and yeah, I'm kind of at a loss of why <laughs> the main parties aren't taking it more seriously. I honestly don't have an answer for that, but I think for the first, I've been teaching climate science for a couple of decades, and this isn't a pretty exciting time because it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest election issue. So people understand that it's happening and we just have to push a little harder, explain it a little better. And I think people will be on board. So that's what I'm hoping to do in Guelph this time. It does feel like voters are thinking about it more than, uh, you know, we're seeing in the media, which I mean, it's speaking as a member of the media, it's sometimes hard to, to uh, juggle more than one or two balls at once. But um, it does, and maybe you can confirm this, but it does feel like the voters um, have, have this in their head that this is a big issue and that it's something that we desperately need government action on. Yeah, there's lots and lots of great groups in Guelph and nationally. Um, if you take a look at environmental defense, they have great ways to look at climate plans. Um, kids for Guelph, lots of youth groups. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're definitely more informed than the government. So um, <laughs> yeah, we just, just have to get them to vote, vote yeah. with their policies for sure. Yeah.
I've been asking this. I mean, because Guelph has a lot of um, people in in the running who have like a science background. Like you're an environmental scientist. Uh, Ashish Sashan from the Conservative Party is like a, a veterinarian and toxicologist. Aisha is a as a nurse. So I'm trying to get a sense from all of you. Um, we're seeing these protests, uh, people throwing gravel at Prime Minister Trudeau. A lot of it is being driven by, let's call it science hesitancy, vaccine hesitancy. You're a scientist. How do we go, how do we bridge that gulf? How do we sort of bring people into a more, I guess, scientifically literate mindset? And and how how do we build that trust with people who are just like rejecting, just soundly rejecting science to the point of anger and in some cases violence. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think a lot of that um, has to do with people are struggling and when people are struggling, they, they can't think rationally about climate change and other things. So to go back to what we were talking about before, I think we need to rebuild our social security net. We need to strengthen our society. And yeah, I don't think if people weren't worried about paying their rent or their mortgage or putting food on the table or how long this pandemic's going to last, whether they're going to be shut out of work again, I don't think they'd be so frustrated Hmm. about at least a lot of them to the point of throwing gravel at the prime minister. And something I forgot to say before was, I think the mainstream media really has to take a good look in the mirror. And I mean, some of even CBC or the Star or the Globe, some of their headlines are things you would expect from like the National Enquirer, whatever's <laughs> at the grocery stand store used to be. So. Yeah. I'm super frustrated um, with, and I don't know that it's intentional, but I think they really need to check their biases and, and thank you for, um, for independence such as yourself, because you give me some hope. (laughs) I wasn't fishing for that, but I'll accept it. Um, (laughs) I guess part of it too, is like kind of the great unknown. And, and I mean, the pandemic we've kind of been setting these benchmarks. It's like, we'll lock down in the first wave and we'll get cases super low. And that by that point, we'll have a handle on it. And that wasn't the case. because so we got a second and a third wave. And then we get vaccines. And it's like, as soon as we get the vac- mass majority of people vaccinated, we'll be able to get back to normal. And that kind of hasn't been the case with the Delta variant either. Um, it makes me wonder, like, this is like, a, 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 I mean, I don't want to be one of those people like that says, well, the, COVID is just like a cold or it's the flu. But I mean, that's something that we can kind of like get our hands around and get a handle on, right? Is not like spreading disease to each other. That's not something like climate change where, you know, it means like battling forest fires, like up and down, like from one end of a coast to another. (laughs) And it, it just, you know, it makes me, and I don't expect you to have like a full like policy researched answer to this, but, you know, we have, we have real trouble getting our hold getting a hand around big issues. And if we can't do that with COVID, can we do that with climate change? Yeah. I, yeah. I really believe we just need to 
keep pushing the message and keep simplifying it and keep trying it in different ways and relate it to what matters to people most. So with the vaccine passport, people are really upset because it's affecting their life immediately. Mm. Um, So for example, today when I checked the weather, there's extreme tornado warnings. So that's the kind of thing we need to, to keep in mind. And Mike Schreiner always uses the example of insurance rates. And right. pretty soon we're not going to be able to insure our houses. So I think we really have to relate it. Again, I think people are struggling. They're busy. They're tired. We need to relate. They don't want to talk about carbon taxes and (laughs) 1.5 degrees and we needed to relate it to how it's going to affect their lives that's what they're thinking about I think on a day-to-day basis so Mm -hmm. I do want to talk just one more thing about the pandemic and and I've just been trying to get a sense of this from all the candidates like campaigning during a pandemic um I mean nobody kind of wants to you know hold if you're like if you're a politician you don't want to be having a screen between you and your potential constituents and potential voters. Um, it's hard to go door to door. It's harder to hold like big community events that you would sort of typically do. Given that though, I mean, is, is this campaigning unfolding as kind of you thought it would, or is, is, is there, are the challenges kind of have been like greater than perhaps you anticipated or perhaps that you hoped for? Um. Yeah, I was I was super concerned about um, COVID restrictions at the beginning. I wanted to be really cautious, and I thought calling the election now was irresponsible. But I think that fighting for an advocate in Guelph, Guelph for climate change is more important than not going door to door. So we were just really careful, and it's worked out really well. We found a great space with lots of outdoor space in front and in back, and Just when we're out door to door, we just back off and we keep our masks on. Everyone's, I think, more comfortable outside. So we try to do almost everything outside and really Mm. limit what's going on in the office. So, yeah, at the beginning, I was super nervous, but it's worked out okay. And people feel feel comfortable with the way we're we're campaigning. I think we haven't had any concerns raised. So. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. I do want to return to uh, politics, though, um, uh, to, to say again, you're you a part of the shadow cabinet of the Green Party. That means you get to coordinate with uh, your leader, Annamie Paul. Um, can you talk a bit about sort of your experience with her and, and uh, you know, sort of what the, you see in, in her leadership abilities that you think make her a, a good, good prime minister material, let's say? Yeah, um, yeah, I was really excited to be appointed to the shadow cabinet. Um, Annamie Paul, to me, works extremely hard, and she has great vision. Um, She knows she has great people surrounding her, um, just amazing people surrounding her. And she really defers to the experts. So she has her expertise. And she really deferred to us, like she deferred to me on environment, the different critics in their, in their different portfolios. So yeah, 
um, she loves policy um, and loves to create big policy, good policies. I think she's a wonderful spokesperson. Um, yeah, I've seen lots of really terrific strengths that would make her a great prime minister. And how about yourself? What, again, you're an environmental scientist. What does putting an environmentalist in Parliament Hill, I mean, due to these things you're talking about, like proctoring policy and, and helping to drive, you know, bigger policies and, and more active, uh, more active fight on the climate change. What difference does, what, what difference can environmental scientists make in the house of commons? Yeah. Like I said before, absolutely. We're going to expose policies that don't make sense scientifically, but I think for both Annamie Paul and myself, it's more than that. She's a human rights lawyer. Um, I do know people that, are in the Order of Canada, but I also know people that are struggling on Ontario Works in Guelph. And I understand it's not their fault that they're there. And so I think for Annamie Paul and myself and lots of people in the Greens, environment is only half the story. Mm. Like I said, I think people are angry and throwing gravel at the Prime Minister because people are struggling and society is deteriorating. And I think that's just an, as important um, to us as the environment. And, and like I say, I think there's lots of scientists, um, but they all care deeply about making society a better place and, and, and helping the most marginalized, well, not even the most marginalized, helping everyone um, mm. just live a bit better life. Canada is a really rich country and there's no reason for homelessness. There's no reason for inadequate mental health services. We just need to spread the resources around and it's not unlike the environment. Mm. We're using more resources than the earth can provide and the earth can provide plenty for all of us. We just need to be smarter about it and distributed it differently. So. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to make the difference in, in voters' minds, uh, like particularly the undecided voters? And there are a lot of them out there, but, you know, is they're kind of like trying to figure out who to vote for with, you know, their mail-in ballots or going to vote in person this coming weekend and the advanced polls, you know, what do you think, what do you think the, the difference is, going to be when they're deciding on who to vote for like what what will what will set you apart as opposed from any of the other candidates what do you what do you think a uh, big decider will be yeah i hope i can i can i hope i can get across to people that i really am here to put people over profit and we didn't talk about um the green party but the green <laughs> party really has <laughs> Um, something different to offer. So our policies, the ideas for our policies come from the grassroots, and that makes us much less susceptible to lobby groups and to special interest groups. Um, so I'd like to get that point across. Mm -hmm. um, and just, just what I said earlier, that this is the last election we have anything that Canada has a chance to do their fair share with respect to climate change. 
And I honestly don't believe any of the three main parties have a plan to get us there. So I'll be pushing that hard. I'll be pushing social policy hard. Um, yeah, the Greens have a lot, a lot to offer. And, and I'm really invested in the Greens. Um, we want better governance to more cooperation, democratic reform. It's the full package. And I hope people will see that. I want to give you a sec to sort of uh, talk about, um, because we, we live in environmentally minded times. It's more than just the Green Party, but election signs are always a huge issue because that plastic is just bad plastic. Um, but you have found a way around that in, in some instances. Yes. Yes, I had to. <laughs> uh, my team wasn't convinced, but I insisted, <laughs> I insisted that at least for residential signs, we were not going to use the plastic signs. I didn't even want to put my name on the signs, but they convinced me that I should. <laughs> but we've gone with um, reusable shopping bags put over um, posts that we already had left over from the last federal campaign. Um, so when they're, they're really popular, they haven't fallen apart. <laughs> and we're also, we decided not to print t-shirts. So on Friday night, we're having a volunteer appreciation night and we're going to, the Guelph Tool Library is going to come and silk screen our logo onto existing t-shirts that people have. And by no means is this a perfect campaign or a, a carbon zero campaign, but mm. I'd like to say you have to be an imperfect person imperfect environmentalist so you have to start somewhere you can't wait till you have the perfect solutions and yeah I really wanted to at least try to walk the talk so mm -hmm. I mean it, it's interesting what renovation or what innovations uh, can be found because I know uh Rand Zoo in uh in Wellington Halton Hills is doing ribbons instead of signs so he's putting up green ribbons on at people's houses on their front fences and posts and things to show that they're supporting the green party so it's uh it's 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 doable to be a little more environmentally friendly even if you can't get rid of the signs completely yeah <laughs> <laughs> well uh Michelle this is the most important question i have for you today um where can people find out more about you and your campaign? Sure. <laughs> um, you can go to electmichellebowman.ca and there's lots of information there. I have it from good sources that our platform will be released today. So that will be added to the website soon. So people will be able to uh, check that out because obviously we're recording in advance of, of Thursday's show. So if people don't know it's there, it's it should be there by now. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Michelle Bowman, thank you so much for your time today and uh, good luck with the rest of the campaign. Great. Thanks for having me. And that was Michelle Bowman running for the Green Party. Uh, that brings, if you've been keeping uh, track of things, we've done four candidates. Uh, we still have two more scheduled for next week. And... Uh, process of elimination it's probably the two ones you're thinking about right now so uh leaving that there we will wrap up this week's show 
We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us, you can go to our website, opensourcesguelph.com. or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to our show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, or Spotify. Uh, just a quick programming note. Well, not a programming note per se, but uh, if you're interested in election stuff, uh, I will be moderating the climate change and social justice debate, which is taking place this coming Tuesday at 7 p.m. There is an event bright uh, link that you can find where you can sign up. It is a, it is a Zoom event, so you do have to register in advance so you can get that link. Uh, CFRU, I believe, is co-sponsoring it or is going to co-sponsor it in some way. Maybe Odesia can, you know, if she hasn't already put out the link, um, she could probably... If she's listening to this, she can put the link on the CFRU social media. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I request in the middle of the show. It's the first. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, but the link is easy enough to find. I'm sure if you just search for climate change and social justice debate in Guelph, you will find that Eventbrite link. So, uh, we we invite everyone to come out for that. That is the four major party candidates. So, uh, tune in uh, on Tuesday for that. I will be on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson the rest of the time, and you can find my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, check out cfru.ca, scheduling information, shows, and all that great stuff, including the link to what Adam was talking about earlier, probably in all likelihood. <laughs> I'll post it on my social media feed, too, so I don't look like a complete idiot. But anyway, DJ, sounds good to be here sooner at the top of the hour. <laughs> You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back here next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then. <laughs>